You're listening to the Piano Pod, where we talk to the brightest minds in the industry about how they're bringing the piano into the 21st century. Hello, and welcome back to the Piano Pod. I am Eric Hunter. I'm Yukimi Song. I'm Clara Zhang. Today, our guest is Claire Marie Lim, otherwise known as Doll Trick. A professor in Berkeley's electronic production and design department, she specializes in instruction for live electronic performance, production, and programming, and is an advocate of women in Asian representation in music technology. She is an Ableton certified trainer, Bitwig certified trainer, and Apple certified pro. In music education and arts activism, Claire collaborates with the Girls Rock Campaign, Beats by Girls, and the Queens Public Library Network, and has received support from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs and Queens Council on the Arts. She develops curriculum for various ages and experience levels, having consulted for the International Center of Photography, Queens College, Coursera, and the Berkeley Network. Claire also independently runs the Doll Troop, a mentorship experience where K through 12 girls can shadow her in electronic songwriting sessions and live shows. Hi, Claire. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Thank thanks you. for having me. Welcome. Welcome. Excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Yes, we are so excited to have you. You know, we interview a lot of classical pianists for this show. We're all classical pianists, the three of us. Um, but we're also very interested in music technology and the future of music. Mm -hmm. And when we saw what you were doing on YouTube, we were just blown away. We're like, Thank oh, you. we have to have her on the show. <laughs> so, so we're very, very excited. Um, now, you describe yourself as a music technologist, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that that term. Can you explain what you mean by that exactly? Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I think I'll, before I, I start, I'll also kind of jump in. Like the classical music is still very much in me too, because I got I'm a classically trained pianist too. So it was very weird. I think my parents didn't really expect that. Like it's like, oh, let her go get her diploma and whatever, and and then turn into this electronic music weirdo. Sorry, mom and dad. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So music technology. Um, I think. It's a, it's a term that I like using a lot and that a lot of my colleagues who also call themselves music technologists use as well, mainly because oftentimes when you're in the field of music tech, you're not just in, say, only production. There's a little bit of overlap with, say, live performance, or in my case, for example, or sometimes there's a little bit of overlap in programming and, and sound design. So I think using the term music technology kind of encompasses that because that's actually pretty much what I do all the time. Um, sometimes my clients who I work with will come to me through the lens of wanting to look for a producer to help them with their music. So they might be, say, a songwriter or a composer, and it's like, hey, Claire, can you help me make this, um, you know, put it, into some kind of digital form, like in a, in a software computer program. And then other clients that I work with will be like, hey, I'm doing a live performance. Can you help me um, put together a live show or put together my stage setup? So it really kind of runs the gamut. Um, it's very much, you know, kind of being like a, a jack of all trades, I guess, <laughs> uh, and having to, you know, go between different sorts of things. But ultimately, I love doing all of it. So that's why <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's amazing. I know you wear so many hats. I mean, just going through the materials on your website, you're like, oh my gosh, she's performing and she's producing and she's educating activism as well, right? And technology running through it. It's amazing. But it's so interesting to me that you grew up with classical training and then found your way into technology. I've got a bit of that myself. So um, can you tell us what drew you to music technology originally? Yeah, totally. I'm so glad to hear that, Eric. I think like for me, it was very, very much an accident. I, up until college, um, 
I just for a little bit of background also, I I went to a school where you had different options for majoring in different parts of music. So sometimes you um, a couple of people would major specifically in electronic production, or people would do engineering, um, or people would do like commercial writing, and that was initially what I kind of wanted to do. So when I first got to the college that I attended, like my mind was really more set on being just like a writer or a composer because I didn't know about the possibilities of a lot of the electronic music stuff. Um, but it just so happened that a lot of my friends who I met in my very first semester. At college, I got very close to them, and a lot of them were into electronic music stuff.、Um, and at that time, still, I was a little bit of a, a purist. <laughs> so you know, people would bring up like electronic music, and you kind of think like one of two things: either the you know electroacoustic tradition, kind of in classical stuff, or you think of like a doom, 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 which which it kind of floor, is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I joke. I joke with my my my. Students now that like that's all that electronic music is partially be, being facetious, but it kind of is also.、Um, so I so I, I thought of that, and、um, it was really a lot of my own prejudice that was preventing me from being open to a lot of the creative possibilities. But I started going to a lot of these live shows, and for me, coming from the lens of or the background rather of being a performer, because I used to do lots of like competitions and lots of you know on stage stuff as a pianist and a flute player too, right? So it's like stage performance experience. Um, coming into that sphere and watching all of these live performances, I was totally blown away. So I, I went to a concert once by a group called Disclosure, and it was actually in New York. It was at Madison Square Garden, and I saw them there. And that was the night that very much changed my life because they do a completely live electronic setup. So the brothers are also actually a little bit of classical and jazz trained. One of them plays the drums, the other plays the bass. Uh, but they do this really cool live electronic setup, and I, I was totally mesmerized. And I said, okay, if I do get into electronic、uh, music at all, it's probably gonna be through the vein of performance, and that's what happened. <laughs> so that was down the rabbit hole from there. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a great segue to your current project, which is Doll Trick.、Yeah. Right? Can you tell us、uh, what is Doll Trick and what do you do as Doll Trick? Totally.、Um, Doll Trick is interesting because she's kind of like. A, first of all, I, I refer to her, her a lot <laughs> in third person,、um, mainly because when I first started doing electronic music, I personally felt very scared about it、um, mm. for a number of reasons.、Uh, mostly because I, first of all, really didn't know what I was doing at the time, so it was just like, what is going on?、Uh, second of all, because I didn't really have the courage to do a lot of. The more performative things that I saw, either the peers or the the idols that I I had, not idols, but the inspirations that I had doing, and it's partially because they were mostly white men. So it was it was a, a very weird situation. It's like you look around and there's no one of who looks like the same as you、uh, until later on in in my story, which is what I'll I'll get to. But yeah, so I created Doll Trick、um, in college when I was still in college after. I I took a turntable class actually. I took a, a class on turntablism, and the first assignment was to come up with a DJ name, <laughs> and it, it stuck. I didn't think it would stick, but I I just thought of of it,、uh, and it stuck, and ended up becoming my artist project name. So I stuck with that name, and it's kind of my avenue of. Having some kind of platform to just really be free with music and a little bit of an unfiltered type of sense, I feel like if I went into the music creation process as Claire, it would come out very different. <laughs> But Dolce gives me a little bit of that freedom,、um, and it's because of that that I usually kind of have her very separate. I, I like to think of her as like maybe like ten or, or even twenty years younger than me in terms of like the freedom that she has to do stuff.、Um, she's very much just. 
a lot more liberal in a lot of the choices that she makes. And I think of the Daltrick project as really being, yeah, it's, it's totally separate from, you know, what people will hire me for. <laughs> like my clients won't necessarily be like, I'm hiring Daltrick. Sometimes they are. Um, but like, let's say they're, they're looking for an engineer on their tour or something. They're not hiring Daltrick. They're hiring Claire. Or if they're looking for lessons, they're looking for lessons from Claire and not Daltrick. So that's a little bit of, of her <laughs> on the side. Yeah. That is so interesting to me. Um, I think that's like a really ingenious to solution uh, solution to a problem that I frequently run into, which is like how to get started and get over my own creative anxieties. Do you have other kind of personas or do you like compartmentalize differently for all the other different projects that you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do actually have one other persona. It hasn't been active for a while, but I used to do a lot of live modular synthesizer gems and my my artist name for that would be cable wrapper <laughs> which is funny because uh, sometimes there will be like spoken word stuff also um but yeah there's that mainly doll trick is is the main one i think like sometimes even when i do a lot of performance stuff and, and my students and also my my audience who have seen me perform live will notice this too but i'll do a little bit of like a, a switch out sometimes so i'll be like hey this is claire and then i'll go back and to be like hey this is doll trick right now doing the performance stuff. So it's a lot of that. It's a little bit like a split personality thing, but it's not that crazy yet. I, I hope. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, um, a lot of performers, I hesitate to say all performers, but a lot of performers certainly have a certain separation between their totally. public life and their private life, right? Yeah. You know, what they put on performance versus what they create on their own. When you do the tour, are you doing as dull trick and by yourself or do you have a team of group of uh, musicians to go along with? Yeah, that's a great question, Yukimi. So what usually happens for, for my case, it kind of depends if I do, if I am, um, if I am touring as doll trick, then I usually go on my own. It's it's um, I've done it enough at this stage that I can like pack everything into a suitcase and I just like go go around. Um, but that said, though, most of the time, if I'm getting hired to work with other people, mm. like if I'm I'm on their teams, then yeah, that is with a team of people. So I'll be like one out of I don't know a crew of like fifty or something people on like a bus or, or depending on the the size of of the tour. Sometimes it's it's smaller too. So it really depends on the situation. I've done both before. Wow, and I I've seen your um, YouTube clips and also I've listened to some of your original songs on mm -hmm. you know um, like, um, music streaming services. By the mm -hmm. way, one of your songs is on our full playlist on Spotify oh, thank so, you so, much. so that our, our <laughs> viewers and uh, listeners can really enjoy your song. Thank anyway, you. so I, I've seen some uh, cover songs like, you know, you're, you, yeah. you are doing covers, but also you have your original. So when you're touring, do you do both or are they all original, maybe not songs, but music? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Sometimes I try to do a mix of both. Uh, mainly because also for myself, like I love doing covers. I think it's so fun. Um, yeah. And also because this is like, it, it partially is is a, because of this, but like sometimes I like doing covers that not just are for my main audience, which are mainly around, you know, a certain age range, but to like appeal to other folks too. Like sometimes when I do a Fleetwood Mac song, for example, my parents get very excited. I love Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> 
So me too. <laughs> love, yeah. So I love doing like Google Mac stuff, and I'll send them like funny clips of like, "Hey, I want to hear your favorite rock song in an electronic fashion." My parents will like laugh a little bit, which is fun. Um, so sometimes it's a little for them. Sometimes a little bit of of jazz as well, because my my grandparents, my grandfather especially, is a big fan of like Sinatra and stuff like that. So I used to do some like weird flips that would make him laugh as well. Um, so so there's a little bit of that too. I mean, like I grew up listening to. A lot of you know bands like older stuff that I think a lot of my students right now wouldn't know. Also, so in that regard, like sometimes I'll do stuff that's really popular with them, like whatever is like on the you know the Billboard charts now or whatever they might like. So there's always a mix of of things. I love covers. So wow, yeah. But with your you know、um, electric music background, <clears throat> it's gonna sound much different. Yeah, totally. You know?、mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also something that. Um, I like to to really think about as one of the powers of doing electronic music stuff, just because a lot of the time when we think of covers or when a lot of people think of covers, sometimes they think of just you know a person sitting with their guitar and like singing into a mic. It's like an acoustic version、um, or something. So that's why sometimes a lot of people will will call it. You know, a, a remix instead. Although, you know, technically, if it's a remix, sometimes there's original material from the song, so it's still a cover <laughs> that I'm doing. It's just like an electronic version of a, of a cover. But yeah, lots of cool opportunities with sounds. Yeah, and you know, while I was watching YouTube,、uh, one of your、um, videos, and you were playing a flute and、yes. <laughs> with a keyboard, and even. A keyboard that I have never seen it before. I'm sorry, I'm a really, really no,、um, <laughs> good old-fashioned classical pianist. So I'm very boring in、no. that way. I only know black and white keys or 88 keys. That's, That's all I know.、Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what it, what did, does it take to be you? I'm, I'm very、oh, curious、no. <laughs> because, because you know, I have、uh, students of so much potentials, and I want to give them as much as I can, you know. And I, I'm very curious. I mean, you, not only you have this, it sounds like you, you've done, you know, traditional music、uh, lessons, and but also you have the knowledge of technology. Um, the computer software to because you you are also a DJ, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I am very curious what it takes、uh -huh. to be Miss Claire Lim. Tell us. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, yeah. I think to be honest, Yukimi, I think it's just a lot of nowadays, especially since you mentioned your students, and I tell this to my students too.、Um, it's about taking advantage of whatever resources you have, right? And I think they're in a very different position from us because even like I'm, I know I look very young, but like I'm, I didn't grow up like with a, I'm not from the generation that grew up with like smartphones, right? But now they do,、um, and even for a lot of them, like as when they were like five year olds using an iPad or something, on that iPad you can put a lot of stuff. You can put things like music software. You can put little things like music games that a lot of like the younger students I work with, like K through twelve, they use a lot too. Um, and that develops a lot of their musical sense as well. So oftentimes, for a lot of the students that I work with,、um, who are interested, or even just people in general who are interested in getting into music technology, I, I often joke. It's not a, a joke, but it's very serious. Like the biggest asset that you have is your phone,、um, just because you can put so many things there. Like even off the top of my head, a really good one to get started with is if you have an iPhone, the GarageBand app that's native to the、mm. iPhone lets you do so many things. And the cool part about it is that. That you can save your projects also, and you can send them to yourself, so that then you can use it on your computer. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on in between. 
that um, and that's often like a really important step I think that a lot of people take on too and especially for for the folks who are coming from a more classical background like even myself thinking back to when I first got into this um, the best part about having a little bit of a piano background is that most types of music technology softwares nowadays have a piano interface so it's kind of like you're all you already know the language the only mm. main thing that might be different is when you press a key you won't hear a piano sound but you'll hear like a bass sound <laughs> or you'll hear hear like a synthesizer sound and that also takes you know a little time to to wrap your head around because it does get surprising it's like wait this should be a this should sound like a piano but it doesn't so you have to kind of like adjust your your head a little bit around that too mm. uh, but that's one of the benefits of having a little bit of keyboard background too so that's actually why I often encourage people like even if you don't see yourself as like a full-out concert pianist getting mm. a bit of a keyboard background if you're interested in production or interested in electronic music is like really really good so do wow. that <laughs> thank you for saying that i mean you're yeah. saving our jobs as a piano teacher <laughs> no, for I, sure. I'm so serious, and, and I, i mean that really seriously too just because mm. i think a lot of the strongest um folks that i've worked with like be it artists or students mm. or mm. even just like my own mentors too right they've had a really wide range of of knowledge not just in the mm. the western sphere as well with like classical music theory but even just going beyond into like Um, you know, Indian Hindustani music or Karnatak music or like mm. different parts of, um, you know, Chinese music, like different regions of, of China, being able to be aware of the different music styles mm. um, and Western classical music being a, a good foundation for, you know, understanding harmonic concepts. I think that's one of its main strengths um, mm. as a system. Mm. So big advocate of like learning <laughs> something as a, a secondary instrument. Wow. Thank you. That's that's great to know. Now, so... I know I'm I'm asking too much so but no, this, this would be great. the last one. <laughs> Now, so as you're growing up, who or what was the influence? Like um was it your music teacher or maybe family members who were in the industry or maybe you were interested in gaming or computer classes at school? I'm, yeah, I'm very totally. curious. Yeah, the as far as the the gaming goes cuz a lot of people for an, an interesting like anecdote is that a lot of the folks that I meet think like I play like a lot of video games and 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 something but I don't. I grew up with like zero video games. Mom and dad were like, "No." Um mm. I did watch a lot of TV though. Um so um in terms of music exposure, I would I would really say it came from my grandparents, I think on both sides of the family. Um, my parents themselves, they aren't like super into music um, at all or really no one in my family is a professional musician actually. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's that. And I, I guess coming from my background, um, for a bit more context, I grew up in Singapore and but half of my family, my dad's side is actually from the Netherlands. So it's a little bit odd. Um, but but yeah, even on both sides of the family, no one was very much into like you should do this as a living because uh, the 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 idea was like it's not a living <laughs> going into it um and also like I'm the only child so it was a lot of like pressure and the only grandchild for my mom's side which is a little crazy also um so there's a lot of kind of like music is cool uh will let you be exposed to a lot of it to be cultured whatever that might mean um and then you can do whatever you want that's not music so that's that was the main line of of you know thinking but i grew up listening to a lot of different ranges types of, of sounds so my dad's side would do a lot of the classical stuff and actually my oma my my grandma my paternal grandma she bought me my first piano which i still have now <laughs> um i have so many 
similar story. It's yes! just it, and it's great. It was like I still remember. It's like the it was like a mini 1.5 meter tall kawaii piano. Mm-hmm. I still have it at home. <laughs> um, so she bought that, um, and she was really amazing as a pianist. She never really had any formal training, so she would only play by ear. But she was brilliant. Um, so she got me that, and then I got started with piano lessons. I think when I was like five or six, around there. Um, got started on flute later. I think when I was ten or eleven. I think when I was eleven, and then. Um, on, on top of that, though, listening to a lot of the stuff that my parents like, even just on the radio, we would listen to a lot of like older stuff. So I grew up on the Beatles, uh, Eagles, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, what else would, would they listen to? A lot of um, Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> so these like 80s and 70s types of things. But I loved it. I loved all of it, would absorb it in. And then my grandparents on my mom's side will listen to a lot of, you know, the crooners like Sinatra, um, Engelbert Humperdinck, which is uh, Louis on. Louis Armstrong, which is was really fun. Um, and yeah, so kind of growing up into up until like college, that was pretty much most of the music I would listen to. Maybe a little bit of like billboard stuff here and there. Uh, but yeah, that was mainly it. And the hope was that I would just come to enjoy music and, and appreciate art and hopefully not go into it as a career. <laughs> so when did you come here to America from Singapore? And uh, I assume uh, if you're Singaporean, you have some Chinese influence as well? Yeah, totally. That's that's a great question, Clara. So I came here like around when I was about like 19 or, or 20. So it's a good number of years at this point. But I came here specifically for college because mm-hmm. um, I, I wanted to do um, college. And I ended up going to a college in Boston called Berkeley College of Music. And that's where mm-hmm. everything happened. Right. Um, um, but but yeah, so I, I came here for that. Prior to that, interestingly enough, um, most of my influences at the time were actually from classical music or like mm-hmm. random pop stuff. Uh, but that said, though, I, I did grow up, grow up with a couple of, you know, Chinese songs and, and stuff from that my grandma would sing from time to time. Like, I don't know if, if anyone knows this, this song, like, Moon Represents My Heart. My grandma yes, used to sing yes. it all the time. Yeah, 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 cool, there we go. So, yeah. The only song I still remember. But yeah, totally. So my grandma would, like, sing sing that all the time, like, Ni Wan Wai, yeah, so she would sing that all the time. Um, and, and that was, like, one of my probably like my only like Teresa Tang songs that I still remember. Um, so there was a little bit of that. Um, but actually speaking of like different influences, one thing that I did listen to a lot of growing up, um, or not so much growing up, but really as a teenager was a lot of Korean pop. And that kind of stuck with me through up until now. Like I still listen to a lot of Korean pop as well. Um, mainly because at the time I had a few friends who were Korean in school and they were listening to a lot of it but also a lot of my non-Korean friends at the time were listening to it too and this was really more of like the older school bands so so bands like you know H.O.T. and a little bit of like Super Junior and, and stuff like that so it was really really um quite a while ago <laughs> um but yeah that was another influence that kind of brought me a lot of the I guess palette of pop and electronic production before I actually knew that I wanted to do electronic stuff because by the time I I did the electronic stuff in college like years later it was like hey I heard that in that k-pop song from 10 years ago or something Uh so then a lot of the bridges started to to form yeah but you also did uh, like dance and DJ culture, but you also combined that with classical music, right? All yeah, I tr- yeah, I try to do a little bit of that too. Like for a lot of the DJing that I, I, I do as well, it's really a different paradigm from when I do the live electronic music performance stuff. So for example, if I did um, a more DJ style type of, of gig, I wouldn't necessarily bring my keyboards along 
Hmm. Yeah, I might, might leave that at home. But I might bring it's something. More DJing. Yeah, like, it's more like a mixing type of style between different songs. Um, but I try to use the way that I, I DJ as a little bit of... Um, What's a, a good way to, to frame this? Yeah, I, I, I use it a little bit of like an ethnomusicological musicological type of, of um, vein as well, mainly because this is thinking also back to when I first got into electronic music. But when I first started doing a lot of it, really a lot of the, the figures that I would see in electronic music were just these like, you know, white male DJs on stage pumping their fists. And it's like, I, I was very curious about the history of it. So I went a little bit deeper into that and um and discovered just like everything was appropriate (laughs) or not everything appropriate but a lot of it came from a different culture that isn't really acknowledged right now so for example when I do DJ sets um I'll use it as a little bit of a chance to inform my audience or like share a little bit more with my audience about like hey here's a little bit of a historical house DJ set and we go back to the founders of house in New York uh, with like Frankie Knuckles and Larry LeVan and stuff like that and having that as a, a teaching tool or like a tool to show people's history I think is one of the most beautiful parts of music because um, you don't always have to you know stand in front of a, a chalkboard or a whiteboard and draw stuff <laughs> you can mm-hmm. play music and like be like hey listen to how the sounds are changing over time and in a way it kind of speaks a little bit to um, you know music in, in the classical sense too like whenever I talk about like baroque music going to classical stuff going to romantic Stuff. It's, here's the the path that we draw through music how do we also do that in different genres also so so you do actually teach a lot of students too as well or yeah I it's a little crazy right now but yeah most of my students at the moment are from uh Berkeley so they are my students up up in Boston but right. I still teach also at, at a couple of other places now and then as an adjunct for example at um, the city university of new york sometimes i run okay. a class um in the, the the mfa program over there that's called um it's, it's not called this but it focuses on using a program called ableton live to do a lot of like sound design and composition and stuff like that so those students will do a little bit more of like studio comp work compared to a lot of my students at berkeley who do a little bit more of the live electronic performance types of things Got it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned this earlier, so I don't want to uh, interfere. But no, that's okay. You, look, you do look, look very young, so we weren't really sure. You know, you and you yeah, that's okay. All this like university, right? And uh, I, I was just curious. You know, I mean, but you said you 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 only moved here when you were nineteen, and you. So I assume you've been here for a little while, right? Yeah, totally. It's funny that you mentioned that because a lot of my my students will also kind of like guess that I'm very young, but it's it's okay. At this point, they know like you know that um it's it's they they have seen my I think one of the things that I try to think about a lot also as far as my own prejudices go mm-hmm. is that like a lot of people who even if they look young and even if they are young, a lot of the people who are younger than me even, they've done the work and that's why they're so famous. Right. right. So it's like, it's like, so I, I think about that a lot. It's, it's, it's a little different also, I think compared to a lot of traditional academia types of spheres, because you'll often right. see older people um, again from, you know, that kind of like white male professor type of generation that you see a lot. It's like, honestly, when I was in college, all of my professors, I didn't have a single woman professor at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, none of my professors were people of color. So it was very much, oh, really? still, yeah, it was very much still, even in 
electronic music that's supposed to be, you know, um, you know, forward thinking and whatever, innovative, right? It was still very much anchored in that academic type of sphere. But now things are changing a lot. Um, right. I don't think, I, I think even out of my department, I don't think I'm the youngest at the moment. I think there's like people who are younger than me teaching and it's great because that's what the, that's what the students need, right? They don't need um, someone who hasn't been active. Sure, there's a lot of experience there and there's a lot of value in classes that come from these folks, but there's also value in classes that come from the younger people who are in the field and very active, like some more active than me even who are doing right. stuff, right? Um, and it's good because then students have these many options. It's like you get to learn from the OGs and then you get to learn from the newer folks too who are taking right. to new levels. So I like that a lot about Berkeley. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was actually asking about how did you actually lend your agent, you know? So how have you had it for a long time or? Oh, my agent or? Yeah. Um, as far as like my artist stuff goes, for a long time, um, I was actually just doing my own stuff. Like it was mm -hmm. just me and it was stressing me out a lot. <laughs> so, I'm sure. So, the time where um, I thought like, okay, I should get someone to kind of help me a little bit out. And I used to do a lot of these events or I would not, not do a lot of them, but I would go to a lot of these events for women in music. Um, and one of, at one of these particular events, um, I met my current assistant or agent, Liz, um, and she, she was um, not, she's no longer, but she was a, a business student, music business student at NYU. And um, she was really great. And we kind of just met at this one event because we both went there. We didn't know anybody. So we ended up chatting. <laughs> but I found out that she was helping, you know, a couple of her friends at the time who are now also like artists and, and touring actively. Um, she was still a student at the time. And I think I had just graduated or, or something. But um, she was saying like, hey, why don't we maybe like touch base a little bit? If you ever need help with anything, let me know. And yeah, so she's we've been working together for like about a, a year or so at this point. But she helps me a lot with like, admin stuff thanks Liz um and <laughs> you know putting things together and I think it's important maybe this also goes back to what Yumiko said just now about having a team right but like at the moment it was just at previously it was just me now at the moment it's me and Liz and sometimes I have another friend also helping me with social media stuff so it's like three of us um but maybe down the road if things get bigger I might need a bigger team and then eventually it'll get to the stage where instead of me touring on like other people's teams I'm also doing the same thing with me but it's like with my own team um, so, so maybe that also goes a little bit back to just being able to make connections with people <laughs> and ask for help when you need to and don't like die under the weight of, of everything that's crumbling when you have to manage so many things at once. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Asking for help is certainly a very necessary skill in our field. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to circle back to songwriting. Sure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your creative process? What is it like for you starting a new song? Yeah, totally. Um, as far as songwriting goes, like, and this is something interesting that I was actually just talking to one of my my other colleagues about. But um, a lot of people who do electronic music, they often think of themselves as producers mainly, which I do as well. But for me, it's very much a, a merger of like writer and producer. So I'm so glad that you mentioned songwriting, Eric. <laughs> it's a big part of the process for me, and I think like um, really, there's nothing. No, no, if a, if a production sounds good but it has a bad writing style or a bad song it's totally destroyed from the from the get-go so for me like the the process for writing often is centered around a concept um and i like to think about you know, not so much very sometimes it is very specific but sometimes it's also broad so it could be the um an example what's a recent example so it could be something like the idea of being defeated 
right? Um, maybe you've tried to do something and you failed, or it could also be you've had a conversation with someone and they keep trying to shoot you down. There's a lot of ways that you can experience defeat. Um, and I then try to create some kind of song that's related to the emotions associated with that. So not so much the actual topic itself, um, but a lot of the time the emotions. And the reason I bring up defeated is because that's actually the name of my next song that's coming up. <laughs> So, so that's like a little bit of my process for that. I, I created the song based on, on this idea of like, you've tried your best at doing something, but you keep on, you know, falling flat on your face. <laughs> and in, in this particular context, it was in the, um, it, it was through the eyes of like looking at a relationship, but it doesn't have to be, it could be like even dealing with your daily life, right? Like you try to do something, you keep failing, you try to practice something on your instrument or whatever, and you keep failing, just keep, you know, getting defeated. Um, so, so I, I like thinking of that a lot and related to that, and this goes back to the process itself. I do a lot of these things called word pools <laughs> where it's like, I'll, I'll think of the word defeat, right? And then what's related to that defeat, um, battle is related to that. Um, maybe the concept of, um, getting hurt is related to that. Like if you fall down, you get hurt, you're defeated, right? So I do a lot of these word pools and that ends up helping me with my lyrics in the songwriting. Mm. So I'll kind of like bring them back in and, and have them tie back into the theme of the song. But yeah, it always starts with the theme. It kind of goes out a little bit more general and then it comes back and is more specific. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I do uh, something similar myself sometimes when I'm composing. Nice. So once you have your word pool or your um, your associated emotions, yeah. how do you start with the musical ideas? Do you improvise on a piano or sing or what? Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, most of the time, if I am doing like a very song-based type of idea, it's always like piano and vocals. <laughs> That's it. So that's where that's where really a lot of the the training has helped in, and and because now I can just you know walk over to my my keyboard and be just like those are the chords. That's the that's the song. Um, versus if I didn't have that, I'd probably be like struggling a, a little bit more, poking around in my software. Um, but yeah, pretty much it always is just like piano and and lyrics or piano and melody. Like I sing on top of it, and I'm honestly like not a good singer, but I've trained myself to sing in an acceptable way. That's what I try to to see. I mean, um, you sound great on every. Everything I've heard. Uh, that's very nice. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, like sometimes I'll, I'll play stuff and I'll like experiment with it. I'll sing it with my own voice and it's like, okay, that, that sounds a little odd. But if it sounds good, then I probably know that I'm onto something. Um, just because I feel like, again, going back to the songwriting process, if it doesn't feel like a compelling idea on the piano, I feel like it probably won't be a compelling idea even if I produced it out. And that's for me. I know I know some people will, will manage to, you know, take a very mediocre song and polish the hell out of it and it'll turn out great. <laughs> but at least for me, coming from the place of, again, you know, the more compositional side, if I have confidence in the composition, I know that I'm going to have confidence in the production too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, I want to ask you, how do you balance that? Like, um, you know, playing on an acoustic instrument. And then when it comes to the electronic production, there's so much work right yes. <laughs> and finding your sounds samples mixing uh i sometimes i have trouble integrating those two worlds which seems so very like one is kind of like organic from nature it feels like playing totally. acoustic instruments and then when you get into your daw you're kind of locked into a lot of little boxes right and and loops how do you how do you manage that balance yeah absolutely to be honest eric i sometimes still struggle with it too <laughs> 
<laughs> it's so hard. Um, and mainly it's because, I don't know, I feel like for me, and, and maybe y'all might feel the same way too, but when I think about some of these acoustic sounds, like thinking back to like the flute, for example, or even the piano, like a really nice, you know, Steinway. Nothing beats like a really nice Steinway, right? Something about this, the sound of the instrument is like, so powerful um and that's why sometimes i end up recording these things like just <laughs> recording them instead of programming things in um but yeah that's a challenge that i i always have um sometimes my solution in a in a weird sort of of way is to run in the total opposite direction so if it starts off with a piano type of sound i'll purposely choose like a really obscure kind of i don't know synth pad or something <laughs> synth key mm -hmm. sound that sounds very different to put me into a totally different frame of mind um and you know f it's a little bit of like forcibly removing me from the piano sound a little um sometimes i'll inevitably end up returning to it for example like if i do record the sound like i mentioned but sometimes when i'm just trying to you know get something into my jaw i'll purposely pick something that isn't acoustic um and see where that takes me but otherwise yeah it's always a struggle and and in terms of like the loop situation which you mentioned i get so stuck in that too <laughs> so sometimes what i found myself doing is um for a lot of the production stuff especially if it tends to be a song that i've written out the chorus for and then i want to produce after that i'll work on say four bars but then I'll set myself a timer, again, going back to like the phone as the best tool you could ever have. I'll use my phone and set myself a timer of like um, 10 minutes or something. And it's like, Daltrick has got 10 minutes to figure out how to put this into a three minute arrangement. And then I'm just like, go. <laughs> and I'll do, I'll do all of that. So I kind of force myself to do a little bit of structuring. Um, and it's, it's tough. It always is, I think, but it's, it's one part maybe about the production process that I still love very much because it's tough and because it challenges me. I think probably the day where I've failed and I have nothing else left to do in the world of electronic music production is when I feel like I can't do anything exciting <laughs> or I don't feel challenged to do something. So I kind of like, like that a little bit, <laughs> a little bit masochistic, oh. I guess, but I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it is a challenge and you've given us so many wonderful solutions. Um, you know, there's that whole theme of limitations inspiring creativity, yeah. right? Totally. Right. That's, that's our, our biggest trick we've got in our, in the bag. Um, can, I, can I jump in just a little bit? Sure. Go ahead. You're, yeah. So you're now a sound engineer, you know, sound designer, not only com com a composer and musician, mm -hmm. That's just uh, beyond my <laughs> understanding. I mean, it's awesome. I've encountered so many different artists in living in New York City, obviously, and then I met this lighting artist, and that was just that blew my mind. It's like the, the concept, new concept of you know art, and then that's exactly what you're doing. So, were you interested in like because I'm. As a classical musicians, we talk about harmonies, we talk about tone yeah. color, right? Then, um, but, you know, let's say we turn the clock backwards and go back to where Beethoven was, right? And probably at that time, he was somewhat close to, you know, maybe sound engineer. You know, he yeah. was experimenting with the sound because the biggest sound in his time would be what? a uh, big, big old ship, right? Or, or I don't know, I, or cannon ball, cannon, you know, the, the, the big sound. And that, I know he was deaf toward the end, but maybe that's some kind of a, as a young Beethoven, he was inspiring. And how can I have this big sound in orchestra, right? So he was doing his sound engineer. Yeah. So were you, as a growing up, were you interested 
in sound, I mean, you know, I didn't th think of that concept until. Yeah, later. totally. I mean, growing up, Yukimi, in terms of、mm -hmm. like sounds,、um, I don't think I was necessarily interested in like, oh, that sounds like it's not a piano. What is it? Like, I wasn't really that、um, focused yet when I was growing up. But absolutely, I did think a lot about like, how do we use existing sounds to paint pictures? And I think that's one of like the, the biggest takeaways that I had from like maybe my study of like programmatic music, like back when I was a, my God, so many years ago now, like over a decade ago.、Um, but yeah, even just going back to, since you were talking about Beethoven, like this just came to mind too, but the idea of, Um, you know, painting pictures even through a limited number of colors. Like, I think a lot about the, the Pastoral Symphony and stuff like that. And it's like, how is he creating that kind of atmosphere? Like, what, what instrumentation is he using to do that? And I feel like it's kind of, of the same thing. Like, much like you would have, say,、um, in that context, the woodwinds representing a bird, maybe an electronic that's not necessarily woodwinds, but maybe you've got some kind of synthesizer sound that's very high up. In the frequencies that's doing a lot of like, you know, bird stuff. And if it's, you know, a drone thing for a pastoral kind of like, you know, very idyllic sort of atmosphere,、um, then maybe it's not, you know, a low kind of held out note on whatever instrument, like the cello or, or something, but maybe it's like an actual drone where you. Play a note on your your instrument, and it's just held out for a super long time. So I think a lot about of、uh, I think about a lot of orchestration like that too when I'm doing production stuff. This concludes part one of our interview with Claire Marie Lim. Tune in next time to find out how Claire learned music production, hear about her career as an activist, and more.